0: You're part of God's We're going to be in a couple places this morning. Probably easiest if you just follow along on the uh, scriptures that will be on the screen, either behind me or if you're watching online, will be down below. But if you have your Bible and you want to get it out and open it, you can open to three places. Isaiah, starting Isaiah 53. Matthew chapter 19. In 1 Corinthians 6, okay, that's where we'll be. Make sure I told you. Actually, 1 Corinthians 6 and 7, probably primarily be more in 7. I've been talking all morning. Just need a breather for a second. All right, so today's topic is singleness. Full disclosure up front, I'm married. And, um, and so I think that often, I'm going to scoot this over just a little bit. Often when this topic comes up, and especially as it relates to the conversation we've been having in our Sunday school classes around gender and sexuality, when the topic of singleness for the Lord comes up, the perception is that somebody who's married doesn't understand what they're calling me to when they call me to consider singleness for my life. And I want to acknowledge that. Okay. There, is, there is deep truth in that. But, but let me say that today, this is not me calling you to singleness or otherwise. But instead, what I want to do is to share with you what Jesus and Paul and the word of God teach us about singleness. Okay, and, and, and just let me say that although I married, Jesus and Paul were not. And so if you are single or are considering that, pay attention, these guys speak from experience. And I wanna share with you what they said. And the last thing I'd say about that is that what makes a sermon different from a TED talk is that it is not based on my experience. It's based on the authority of the Word of God. Okay, That's what makes this sermon different from a TED Talk. Nobody's ever asked me to do a TED Talk. Only sermons. So I'm going to place myself under the authority of God's Word this morning, and I hope that you'll hear it. Let me pray over you as we begin. God, I thank you for this precious moment that we have to pour open your Word and to be blessed by it. God, would you speak to us through your word? And as we study your word that is scripture, would you guide us by your word who is Jesus Christ? And I pray this in his mighty name. Amen. I am my my parents' son in so many ways. But I am certainly their spiritual son. My parents are two people of extraordinary faith, and their faith was poured into my life from a very early age. And today, my faith bears the marks of my parents. But as I was preparing for this sermon, it struck me that the other greatest spiritual influence in my life is a man who has devoted his whole life to singleness for the sake of the Lord. His his name's Randy Harris. You've heard him. He's preached here before. It's not just that he's single by chance. He made a decision to devote his life to celibacy and singleness to glorify God. And aside from my parents, that single man has had a greater influence on my spiritual life than anybody else. In fact, he's probably the reason I'm preaching. I shared a story last week about a man who advocated for me to have a job here But the reason I was looking for a preaching job before that guy ever came into the picture was Randy Harris. I told you that my dad was a preacher, but what that meant was that when I went off to school, I wanted to do anything in the world except preach. And it was Randy Harris, this man who's dedicated his whole life to singleness for God, who spoke into my life and said, Eric, maybe you should do this. And so I owe a big part of my faith to him. I am, in addition to my parents' spiritual son, I'm, I'm his spiritual son, and he knows it. He knows it. Although I've never preached on singleness until this day. Never. Preached on marriage a number of times. Never on singleness. And I think I want to start by apologizing for that. I have failed you in that sense, to never preach on this before until this moment. I'm gonna kind of flush out why it's wrong that I have missed this and why what the Bible describes about singleness for God is beautiful. In fact, of the three sermons that I'm preaching in relation to our Sunday school topics on gender and sexuality, this is the one that I have been most compelled by what I have uncovered in God's word. And so I apologize that I have failed to, to share this with you. I think a big part of the reason that I regret that is something that one of our staff members said the other day in a staff meeting. She said that our world idolizes romance. Idolizes romance. And when she said that, I thought, yeah, that's it. That our world leads us to believe, whether it's through movies or songs or otherwise, that you cannot be fulfilled without romantic relationship. Physical, intimate, romantic relationship. And that if you don't have that, your life is not full. I was listening to the radio this week and heard Paul McCartney's Silly Love Songs. You remember that? We did Tina Turner last week, Paul McCartney this week. You know, he got apparently, the backstory on that is that he got ridiculed because he he would sing all these Silly Love Songs. And so he wrote a song called Silly Love Songs. And he says, some people want to fill the world with Silly Love Songs. Well, what's wrong with that? I'd like to know, because here I go. Again. Yeah, what's he what's he contributing to? This idea. It's all about love. It's all about love. Okay. It's not just the world that communicates that message to us. The reality is that many, if not most, of the most significant world religions lead us to believe that you cannot be fulfilled in life apart from marriage. Certainly the religions that share our common ancestor of Abraham. Let me just show you the Quran, so Islam. The Quran encourages every single person to marry, and Muhammad condemns celibacy as, quote, exceeding the law of God. Mormons condemn celibacy and singleness. They must undergo the rite of celestial marriage in the temple to achieve exaltation in the highest heaven in eternity and become God's. And this is what gives rise to polygamy, because your eternal reward is connected to your earthly marital relationships. And Jews view celibacy and singleness as disobedient to God. The New Encyclopedia for Judaism begins the citation for celibacy with this, marriage is a commandment in Jewish tradition, and celibacy is deplored. Okay, why? Why? why. The first commandment in Scripture in Genesis 1 is this one, be fruitful and increase in number. It's talking about having kids. That's the first commandment in God's Word. This commandment in Genesis 2 is connected to marriage, where we read that this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. So at creation, before the fall, at creation, marriage and having kids is glorified, elevated, and instructed. And this is woven so deeply into the fabric of, our, of the faith of our Jewish ancestors that by Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, God's blessing of Abraham and through Abraham, the whole world is completely contingent on Abraham and his wife having babies. Apart from that, The blessing doesn't happen, okay? And this is why in the Jewish faith, and we read these stories in Genesis as we studied through that one after another, this is why in the Jewish faith, the belief was that if you were not married and having kids, you were outside of the blessing of God. You might think about it like blessing is this super highway on which people are driving, living their lives, the blessing of God. Well, those who are single are kept on the um, entrance ramp, right? Like they can't get on. There's somebody there with a stop sign. You You can't be in these lanes of God's blessing because you're single. So this is why you have women in Genesis, and we study these stories, like Sarah and Leah and Rachel who do terrible things in order to have kids, terrible things to others in order to have kids of their own because God's blessing is attached to marriage and having kids. This is why you have that really strange practice in the Old Testament called Leverite marriage, which is where if a, if a woman's husband dies, her brother-in-law marries her. Because the belief was if she stayed single, she was unfulfilled and therefore not valued. Uh, this is why Ruth, the story of Ruth, one of the most beautiful stories in the, in the Bible, it ends with her victorious and triumphant what? Marriage of Boaz. And this is why really significant for today's topic that eunuchs, now eunuchs were dedicated singles, dedicated singles. There's, there's more we could talk about there, but at their essence, they're dedicated singles. Eunuchs were not allowed into the temple to worship God. That's Deuteronomy 23.1. If you were single, you couldn't even come in and worship him. All right. Marriage is incredibly significant, and the significance of marriage carries over into the New Testament, and that's why at this church we will fight tooth and nail for your marriage. It's why we offer all kinds of programs, why we offer counseling for marriage, pastoral care. We care deeply about your marriages at this church, and yet if we're silent about singleness, we communicate. That marriage is the only way and in the kingdom of god on this side of jesus christ it is not it's not newsflash the rates of marriage are plummeting in our world in 1990 67 percent of americans are married today it's 53 percent and it's declining Now, 39% of men and 36% of women are likely to be unpartnered or married between the ages of 25 to 34, which are the prime marital years. More single people than ever, staying single longer than they ever have, and, I hate to share this with you, but you know it, you will likely be single again. Hopefully, not by divorce, we're going to fight that, but perhaps by death. Death. One of you in your relationship at least will be single again. And what we know about church is that it is really hard for single people. Over half of married Americans go to church. Fewer than a third of single Americans go to church. A young man at Highland who's now married shared a story recently in the Bridge Builders class and he came for years and years to Bridge Builders as a single man, a class of young marrieds, And he said, I never felt as out of place as I did on Sunday morning at church. I think of a conversation I've had with actually a number of our widows. One comes to mind now who told me the hardest moment of her week is walking from the car to the doors of church without her husband. So once she gets inside, our friends wrap around her and stuff, but it's that lonely walk that she made for decades with her husband that's now the hardest part of her week. Going to church single is hard. Now, if the story is that you can't be fulfilled or blessed without marriage, okay, then that makes sense. But if the story is that you can be fulfilled and blessed in singleness to the Lord then we need to tell that story. We need to tell it. So why is our story different from nearly every other world religion? Well, let me show you. Isaiah 53 is a really important passage. And I'm going to be a little more tethered to my notes this morning because I've been talking for two hours and I couldn't keep it all in my head. Why is our story different? Well, Isaiah 53 is a really important passage. It's the passage we call the suffering servant passage. That's a passage that Isaiah predicts that the servant of the Lord will come. He will suffer and take our sins upon himself. We believe that to be Jesus. And then what we need to do is to pay attention to what he describes taking place in the world immediately after the arrival and work of the suffering servant. The first chapter, immediately after Isaiah 53, Isaiah 54 starts like this. Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song and shout for joy. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of, those, <clears throat> than of her who has a husband. So we know that the woman he's talking to and about is not only barren, meaning she hasn't had a child, she's also single because he compares her to a woman who has a husband. You see this? Okay, so she's single and without children. And he tells her this, sing for joy. Why? You will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations. Your descendants He's not talking about physical descendants, is he? He's talking about spiritual sons and daughters. Your descendants will dispossess nations, and because of that, you will forget the shame of your youth. No longer are you shamed by being single. You're now blessed. You're going to forget that shame. Why? For your maker is your husband. So it is possible, sister, on the other side of the suffering servant, for you to have an intimate relationship with someone and that someone will now be the Lord. And you're seeing this. You will not be denied intimacy. You will not be alone. You can still have intimate, deep relationship, and you can have it with the maker of heaven and earth on the other side of the suffering servant. There's no shame in that, he says. And then come with me to the next Isaiah 55. For this is the very next chapter. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs. So remember, eunuchs previously weren't allowed to worship God. Dedicated singles couldn't even worship God. Look at this. This is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. So to the eunuchs who devote themselves to me, to them I will give within my temple the place where they were formerly denied access. To them I'll give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I'll give them an everlasting name. That's the fear of the single person, that they won't last, that they don't have a legacy. And he's saying, oh, no, no, I'm going to give you one. Better than sons and daughters. Inside the place where you were formerly excluded, I'm going to tattoo your name on the walls. He says, as a single dedicated to me. To the single man and to the single woman who have been cut off previously from the blessing and presence of God, land, children, honor, legacy, intimacy, God says, on the other side of my suffering servant, you can have it all. On the other side. Okay, come with me to Matthew 19. It's only when we see this that what Jesus says about singles And Matthew 19 makes more sense to us. So he's asked about divorce. And he answers a question about divorce by giving them a really high view of his very high standard for marriage. And the disciples hear this and they're thinking to themselves, whoa, 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 whoa. Then surely it's better if nobody ever gets married because there's no way we could uphold this standard. In fact, that's what they say. And what they expect for Jesus to say is, oh, you're right, you're right. That was too harsh. Um, You should all get married. Getting married is better by far. You should definitely do that. Let me back off. That's not what Jesus does. Look what Jesus says, Matthew 19 verse 11. Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it's been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose, look at this, to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And those who can accept this should accept it. That, that translation accept is not a great translation because what that makes it seem like is like, if this works for you, great. If not, no big deal. That's not what it means. That word accept is a word that, it, it, it's, a short, it's a, the shortest English version we can get of a word that describes making room in your life or in your home or in some physical space for something else to be poured or to be into or to fill up that space. You might think about it like a cup full of water. You pour out half of it so that something else can be poured into it. That's, that's the vision. What he's saying is, this is fascinating. He's saying whether you chose this for yourself Or whether someone chose it for you, you were made this way or something that somebody else did for you. Those who live as singles for God need to see this as a gift that God wants to pour into your life and fill you up with. Can you accept that gift that God wants to give you? And then I think he talks about eunuchs specifically for two reasons. One is to signal to them Isaiah 53 is happening because we're rolling into Isaiah 54 and Isaiah 55. This is the suffering servant. This is the time where everything changes. But also notice what he says, who will live as eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom? What we know about eunuchs in the ancient world is they were given high places of honor in kingdoms because they could be fully devoted to the king and not distracted by anything else in their life. So they were given places of privilege and honor in kingdoms. And so Jesus doesn't say those who live as eunuchs for God's sake. He says those who live as eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom, right? It's signaling to you that he is elevating singleness to the high place it deserves in the kingdom of God. Elevating it those who choose to live as singles for god's sake and kingdom deserve places of high honor in the body of christ high honor so um kramer tells seinfeld how's that for a transition uh he tells him that life is meaningless and then he says, what, I mean, what are you thinking about, Seinfeld? You're not thinking about marriage, are you? And Seinfeld's like, yeah, I was, I was thinking about marriage, actually. And he tells him that marriages are man-made prisons, he says. He says, you can forget about watching TV while you're eating. You know why? Because it's dinner time. And you know what you do at dinner? You talk about your day. How was your day today? Was it a good day or a bad day? Well, what kind of day was it? It's a sad state of affairs, Jerry. He says, Okay. <laughs> Kramer, I thought we needed some levity at that moment. Kramer has a really high view of singleness, but not for the same reason that Jesus does, which probably doesn't surprise you. But what Kramer thinks is that anything that interferes, sorry, with you being and doing you, your selfish desires, anything that interferes with that is bad, and therefore marriage is bad. And that's not the rationale that Jesus gives for singleness, but I do think that's the rationale of a lot of people who today are choosing to be single because they want to grow in their career, they want to save more money, they want to travel, they want to be a social media influencer. You know, Whatever the case is, that they're delaying marriage or not choosing marriage out of a selfish reason for singleness, and that is not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is pushing singleness with a different objective, not singleness for self sake. So come with me here to 1 Corinthians 7. Here's another single guy. First was Jesus. Here's Paul. Listen to what he describes here. I would like for you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit, but a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good. Anytime that word is used, we've got to pay attention. He's talking about what's good and in alignment with God's will. I'm saying this for your good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way. An undivided attention, sorry, devotion to the Lord. What's devotion? I think a simple definition of devotion is listening attentively to someone with the aim of satisfying their desire. Think about it like a waiter or waitress at a restaurant. A waiter or waitress is seeking to be devoted to you. They're listening to what you want, what you want on that sandwich, what you don't want, what side you want with it, and they're seeking to satisfy those desires. They run off and get it, and they bring those things back. What he's saying is that a single person is like a waiter waiting on one table, the Lord's. And they give their full self to listening to and satisfying what the Lord desires for them. Whereas the married person is like a waiter waiting on two or more tables. And you've all been in that scenario, right? Where their attention is divided because they're trying to listen to and satisfy a bunch of different parties, whether that's their spouse or their kids or their work or all other kinds of things, that they're seeking to satisfy all of those other people instead of just being devoted to one, which is the Lord. One of my friends went to Chili's the other night and they told him there was a two hour wait. And he said, at Chili's? right? And the person said they had one waitress for the whole restaurant that night at Chili's okay we need to pray for Chili's everyone okay if Chili's goes down what's the world coming to okay Um, but a married person right is like the waiter or waitress serving more tables I heard a preacher who once said that when you get married your time and energy disappears into a black hole of responsibility and commitment and I don't really like that I mean he's obviously right I don't like it, right? You know, inevitably your life, there are other commitments in addition to just the Lord. And Paul, and I think Jesus believed that a single person can give their whole, undistracted, undivided devotion to the Lord, not to the self, like Kramer says. And in doing so, they communicate to the world the sufficiency of Christ. He's enough. Marriage communicates to the world that God is going to bring all things together like he's bringing the span and woman together under Christ. Singleness, elevated and given high honor in the kingdom, communicates to the world that God can be enough. He can be enough. And so it's good. It's good. This was the vision that Isaiah had that singleness will not be a curse it'll be a gift it'll be a gift there's so much i want to say here but we're just gonna we're gonna run out of time i've got a list of people here at this church that i want to honor our so many of our children's ministry teachers our hyg volunteers our hyg volunteers going to camp i think about one of our men here who leads our singles ministry who a couple years ago spent thousands of his own dollars to go to Papua New Guinea and encourage our missionaries. I think about our widows who planned our VBS and special needs VBS curriculums and helped with our Camp Highland curriculums. I mean, I can think of two of the great matriarchs at this church who we talk about all the time who were single for decades and taught countless women in this room how to pray. I think about our young singles pouring into our kids and HYG. I think about a wonderful single woman here at this church who has adopted twice So there's so many of the ways and things that we do at this church that honor uh, couples. You know, you think about like wedding showers and baby showers and nobody gives the single shower. Although you should all be showering by yourself, you know. Um, My son, we we came up here for a shower the other day and he's like, dad, I don't wanna do that at church, Uh, okay. Okay, but every, so much of what we do as a church celebrates what? Marriage and the milestones of marriage. We need to honor singles with the same or greater enthusiasm than we honor those who are married. Or else we communicate that without romance, you are unfulfilled. And what Jesus says is those who devote themselves fully to the Lord deserve the place of highest honor in the kingdom and it's not a curse, it's a blessing. and Paul, I mean, Paul, he was never married. He didn't have kids, and yet he talked about his churches as his kids. He says that he beget them. He says he's been in the pains of childbirth for them. He says he nursed them like a mom nurses her own child. Churches don't need less singles. They need more singles and their spiritual children. You know, there are churches out there that won't hire single people Uh, believing that you can trust a married person better. How many married pastors have we seen fall? Give me a single with unselfish integrity over a married, selfish pastor any day. Right, That's why we're hiring them here at Highland. Because we're seeing the fruit of these dedicated singles pouring themselves out for God's sake in his kingdom into the lives of our young people. And we want to celebrate that and preach that. In the kingdom of God, your significance is not based on your marriage. Your your, Your significance is based on your devotion to the Lord and the disciples you make. That's it. You can have a great legacy and significance in the kingdom of God as a single person. Singleness and celibacy are not curses. I know I'm married. Eric, you're married. What do you know? Okay, remember this isn't what I said. This is what Jesus, Paul, and God's holy word say. And so tonight, like some of you are gonna go home and you're gonna pray for your child and the spouse that they're gonna have one day. I'm praying that same prayer every day. And perhaps you need to pray, God, if that spouse is you, then I glorify your holy name. Be enough for them. Let them devote their whole selves to you, if that's the case. I glorify your name. Let me pray over you. God, I want to lift up your body here, your people here in this room. Some of them are living, God, um, single for your sake. Help us as a church to honor that calling. Some of them are living in marriages, God, for your sake. Help us as a church to build them up for your glory. God, we desire to see that both of these are good and glorifying to your holy name. And may we be a church where both are possible. We pray this in the power and grace and mercy of your son, Jesus Christ, in his name. Amen.